you go. Yeah, tech failure on my part. So there you go. So this week, as the team is in Mexico, as they're focused on, on all of the good work that they can do at Ciudad de Angeles, I think it's our responsibility as a congregation to be praying for them, be praying for the tremendous things that can happen because uh, they put themselves in opportunities like that. Second thing I want to let you know about is that a week from tomorrow, we start our VBS. And I looked at our numbers this morning. We have 77 people signed up to volunteer and 118 kids that are signed up to be here. Now, that's more kids than we have people here this morning, which is just fine. But we're excited about what God's going to be doing through that. So first, if you want to volunteer, come see me. That's going to be part of it. But second, please, please, please be praying about that. God has a way of transforming kids, of instilling in them these great truths about God when we give them opportunities like this. So uh, I, we do covet your prayers with that. Patrick told me a couple months ago that he was going to be gone this week, and he'll be getting back next week late at night uh, and won't have time to prepare a sermon between when he gets back and you know when church starts about six hours later. So... I told him he was lazy, but not really. No, I didn't. But I told him that, okay, so what do you want me to do? Do you want me to continue the series before? And he said, well, last week is Senior Sunday. And so how do you continue Senior Sunday, especially when none of the seniors are here? So that's because they're in Mexico. It's, it's great. So we're not doing that. I told him, okay, so do you want me to do something Typically, Patrick decides the direction we're going in. He says, no, Jordan, this is your choice. You get to decide. And I told him, Patrick, that's a terrible idea. Like, you don't know how dangerous that is to give me all this freedom to do whatever I want. And so we started talking about it. And we talked about, okay, so you could do like a small book. You could read through Jude and see why we don't preach from that book. I was like, yeah, I could, but I don't want to, so we're not doing that. We talked about continuing the series that we had before Senior Sunday. I was like, yeah, but we've pretty much covered what we were trying to cover with that, so I don't think that's a good move to make either. And so we started talking about theology, started talking about the Trinity. I was like, that's a really weird place to land, and so we're going to do it. (laughs) It is. It's where we landed. So why focus on the Trinity? This stage is much bigger, by the way. I feel like I have all this room to walk around, but I'm not somebody that moves a lot, so we're going to have to figure out how to navigate this. Why focus on the Trinity? Get focused, Jordan. There you go. First, I'm convinced that we are part of a culture that likes concrete answers and shies away from the abstract. And I think we recognize this to some degree. I watched this past week on the news, Senator Al Franken, he's the senator from Minnesota, so he gets on the local news sometimes, and I was watching, and they were asking about health care, and he was asked, why can you guys not figure out, as Congress, how to take care of health care? And his response was, it's because the Republicans won't work with us. The same day, Paul Ryan was asked almost the exact same question. He was asked, why can you guys not figure out health care? And his response is, because the Democrats won't work with us. (laughs) I know, both sides are screaming that it's the other side. We are part of a culture that looks at each other and says, this is the effect, what is the cause of it? 
And it's easy, easy, easy to assign blame to say, this is the reason it won't work. It's not because it's an exceedingly difficult issue. It's because the other side's wrong. It's cause and effect. And the effect is they can't get whatever done they need done. In our world, we look for those concrete answers to abstract questions all the time. And here's the secret. It comes into our church, too. Our tradition in particular, I'm from Churches of Christ, I've grown up in Churches of Christ, I've known Churches of Christ, I've been through Church of Christ schools. Our tradition has a reputation of preferring to be right instead of being anything else. This is a reputation, I'm not saying we're guilty, but maybe. We'd rather be right than be loving. We'd rather be right than be gracious. We'd rather be right than be righteous. And those words are really close. And to be honest with ourselves, the reason for that is because it's easier. And something deep within my DNA is screaming at me that I need to be different. That I need to live in reaction to that. Not only me, but all of us. I think when our souls are at their finest, when we are at our best, we would, be, we would rather be loving than be right. We would rather be gracious than be right. And we would rather be righteous than be right. And it's not natural for us, but I think it is better. And so some of the reason for talking about the Trinity the next two weeks is to get us to the place where we can remind ourselves that God is beyond definition. That once we think we understand God, that is probably the time where we need to start questioning ourselves again and again and again. We don't have to get things right. We need to understand God as best we can. Second reason is this. Second reason I want to focus on the Trinity is that we need to be reminded over and over again that we do not control God. And that's one of those things that I think we get in our minds but it doesn't necessarily manifest itself in the way that we talk or the way that we act. We got a shelter dog this past winter, and her name's Penny. She's seven months old, and my wife is terrified that this storm's going to come and get her while, you know, I left her outside. So, there you go. Micah loves this dog. Micah's my four-month-old son. He, four-month, four-year-old son. I wish he was four months old. That's, He's so sweet back then. (laughs) Fond memories. He's my four-year-old son, and he and this dog are inseparable at times. Um, She does really good with us most of the time. She does. She's, She's obedient most of the times. But there are times when her instincts kick in, her animal instincts kick in, and we are reminded that she is not human, but rather an animal. And for you dog people, you understand what that's like. That's it's natural. This past week, uh, Micah and I were at home. Lindsay was working on Wednesday. And we had these CenturyLink people come by trying to sell us internet and cable and whatever. And so we, Micah and I walk outside, but our dog was in the house. And so we have a glass door for our front door. And the dog's just sitting there growling and scratching and trying to get out and protect us from these savage women trying to sell us cable. Like, that was, that's what I assume is going through her mind. I don't know that. When we think we have her under control, we're often wrong. 
And so that's a metaphor, of course, and don't hear me saying that God is a dog. That's, that's not where I'm going. What I'm saying is that God is not something we can control. And once we think that we have God under control, or God completely understood, we have to be reminded that God is beyond that. And that's a simple truth, but I don't know that it's a truth that sinks in all the time for us. So, with all that being said, let's talk about God. Okay? Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Is where we're going to start. The Bible, and particularly the Old Testament, teaches us that there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the fundamental text, the fundamental truth of Judaism. There is one God, and he is our God. Isaiah 44.6 says, Thus says the Lord, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Psalm 86.10, David's crying out to God, For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Malachi 2.10 is asking these rhetorical questions that are beautiful. And he says, Have not all one Father? Has not one God created us? There's this repetition in the scriptures of how God is one. There is one God. My favorite scene uh, from the Old Testament, and that might be a stretch, but it's up there, is the scene of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember that scene? We talked about it. Uh, earlier this year, Elijah goes up and he is taunting these prophets of Baal. And he, he creates this incredible scenario where, of course, no fire can come down on this. And the fire of God comes down and consumes everything. And they are able to prove the Baals are fake. God is real. There is one God. And he is our God. But then we get to John. And John's tricky. John starts this book. In the beginning was the Word. And for those of you who know the Bible, who know Genesis, that's not what it says in the beginning. In the beginning, God. That's the phrase. In the beginning, God created. But here it's in the beginning was the Word. So you kind of got to figure out, what is this Word? And so John 1.1 continues. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Okay, so somehow there's this being that's with God and its word, and that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, but we can go with it. That's, that, that's where the Bible goes, so okay. But then this next statement just floors us. And the word was God. What do you do with that? Thirteen verses later, he says, And the word became flesh. And dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. So God becomes man, but somehow, how does this work? Several chapters later, John chapter 8. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, That sounds like bad grammar, and I get it. 
What it is, is Jesus is making this claim, and John is making this claim through Jesus over and over again, that Jesus is divine. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. About 70 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, there was this Christian leader named Clement. And Clement was this significant guy who wrote letters all over the place. One of his letters, he begins with this. We must think of Jesus Christ as we do of God. There is one God. Christ is God. Christ is not the Father. That's tough. That math does not add up. How do we deal with that? Later on, we read about the baptism of Jesus. And in the baptism scene of Jesus, there's this mysterious other character that descends like a dove. We hear Jesus' words at the Great Commission that he was to send his disciples out and they were to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Paul brings three characters together as well in 2 Corinthians 13 and in Romans 5. All three of these persons, all three of this God, somehow fits together. There's the the scene where Mary is told that she's going to conceive Jesus and how that's going to happen is through the Holy Spirit. There's the book of Acts, which by many people is considered the gospel of the Holy Spirit. There's 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, which deal with all these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there's just a wealth of places pointing that God is also the Holy Spirit. Come back next week and we're going to talk about that. So there you go. And so we move from the idea that God is one being, one person, one entity, to now the idea that God is Father, God is Christ, God is Holy Spirit. And I am not a mathematician. I'm not. But I do know that one plus one plus one does not equal one. That's three. So there are these guys in the 300s, known as the Cappadocian Fathers. Their names were Gregory, Basil, and Gregory. And I cannot tell you how long I tried to convince Lindsay to name Micah Basil. She just would not go for it. I don't don't know why. But I like these guys. And they said, what if, instead of starting with God and trying to make God into three... What if we start with three and see the deepest sense of one? Oh, yeah, see? Heard that somewhere. That was fantastic. I appreciate the sound effects. God is three beings, one substance. Richard Rohr, uh, this guy, read his book earlier this year called The Divine Dance, and he wrote this. He says, each have their uniqueness. And yet they create a deeper and more solid oneness by surrendering their uniqueness lovingly to each other. So when we talk about the Trinity, 
What roar sounds and what others have said sounds lovely and true, but I think there's a realization that all of us have to come to. And it's just this. All language about God is metaphor. You're going to have to think on that one for a little bit. That one's one that has just struck me over the past few weeks. Everything we say about God is metaphor. It's a strong statement, but consider for a moment that we speak of things we believe, not of things we know. We speak of what we have faith in, not of what we know. And honestly, we are creature and we are speaking of creator. And there is a difference in nature that is important. And so when talking about the Trinity, people have used different metaphors to try to explain it. People talk about water. God is like water. There's three different ways that you find water. You find liquid. You find ice. You find vapor. Maybe that's how you explain God. One substance, different natures. God is like a circle dance. It's the term perichoresis in which people are invited in and the dance keeps going on and on and it's a, it's a beautiful picture. But to some degree, when we talk about God at all, when we talk about the Trinity at all, we have to plead ignorance. And it's not because we are dumb, but because nature of ours is not equal to the nature of God's. And for us to speak of God is for creature to talk about creator. Mystery, in my opinion, is misunderstood. The most famous mystery series, one that some of you probably consume still, is Sherlock Holmes, the investigator that can solve any mystery. Something strange happens, and by the end of the episode or book or however you consume Sherlock Holmes, the strange occurrence is completely explained. Real mystery, on the other hand, is something that is not to be explained away. Some of the questions that people ask, I don't think we're ever going to have an answer to. Are we alone in the universe? I don't know. Nobody knows. How many universes are there? At least one. Know that, but that's about it. And really, when you look at yourself in relation to the universe, like the size of yourself, the amount of space that you take up, when you look up at the stars and consider the wonder of God, that's a humbling experience. The question that's been asked a lot on ESPN the last couple weeks has been, are the Warriors better than Michael Jordan's Bulls? I don't think we're going to get a definitive answer on that. No way to prove it. And plus, the answer is no. All of those things are mysteries. Just like the question, what is the nature of God? We say things about God, but we do not know everything about God. So, as a church, as Christians, we believe, as all Orthodox Christians do, that God is one, and God is three, and somehow the three are one. And that's kind of where I want us to start today. It brings us to the passage I want us to look at this week and next. I want us to consider John chapter 14. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to turn over there. We're going to look at John chapter 14. We're going to see how Jesus talks about the Father. 
and how next week how Jesus talks about the Spirit. Well, let's just read through this pretty quick. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And do you know the way to the place where I am going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If my name is in you, ask me for anything, and I will do it. As disciples... As followers of Jesus, we know that to have a relationship with Jesus is to have a relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the lens through which we understand God. We are disciples of Jesus. First and foremost, that is what our identity is. But even at that, we are like these disciples who keep asking questions because we don't really understand. When you read this passage, do you feel like you better understand the relationship between Jesus and the Father? Because I've read it about 20 times this week, and I am still perplexed. I still don't get it. Could it be that the Father and Son is more metaphor than we think? I think at least part of why this passage reads the way it does is to make it difficult to explain the uniqueness between Jesus and the Father. For a people that want to separate the two, Jesus is saying, it's not so easy. We belong together. When you see me, you see God. The passage at its best is much more abstract than concrete. And I think that is part of the beauty of it. This should challenge us in our souls to not just try to define God, but to try to accept God as we see in Jesus. By way of closing this morning, I want to share a realization I've had this year. I've been trying to read through my Bible this year, and I try to do that most years. And the way that my plan is broken down brought me through the book of Job a couple of months ago. After all of the initial brokenness in Job's life, Job thought that he had God figured out. 
There are like 30 chapters, 38 chapters, where Job offers an explanation for what has happened, and he and his friends argue about God's nature and who God is, and it goes on and on and on, and eventually God shows up. And do you remember what happens to Job? He gets put in his place, and he realizes that he knows nothing. I believe that the result of drawing near to God is not knowing more, but rather a bit of unknowing. The things that we, the places where we feel like we have God figured out, the more we learn about God, the more we spend time with God, the less we actually know. That does not come with anxiety and frustration. Instead, this unknowing comes with more faith and more trust in God's goodness. We lose our control of God, our ability to define God, and then instead we receive relationship with God, and that is far superior. We do not serve and worship a God who is easily explained, and that is a good thing. That is a wonderful thing. The reality of God's nature is more than a simple phrase. It's more than a simple word can possibly explain. We as Christians need to get comfortable with mystery. Get comfortable with the abstract because our God is greater than we are. And the closer we get to him, the more those differences between us and God, and I mean all of God, become magnified and become great. So the reason for looking at the Trinity is simply this. Our God is beyond. Our God is greater than. Our God is bigger. And the Trinity is a great lens through which we can start to recognize that and believe that. Thank you for your time this morning. We're going to end in a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Father God, we are very 